This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, good morning, everybody. It's good to be here. I feel like Lazarus. Good to be alive. Yeah, since I've been with the last two months, I've been in the hospital five times for two ablations, one cardioversion, and two three-day stays to put me on some fairly dangerous drugs. Anyway, so the last one I think is working, so if I make it through this lesson, you'll know it works. So let's... uh... Okay, if you open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to start again here. Uh, in verse 35, Matthew 9:35, let's pray first. Father, thank you so much. This is your word. Lord, this is your word, and this is your spirit, the spirit of God, to teach us this morning. We need him to teach us, to open our hearts, to illuminate our, the darknesses in our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, The last portion here at the end of the chapter, really we're going to be covering a very long portion, just the one verse essentially. But okay, Matthew 9.35. Matthew 9.35. Jesus went about all cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. Then he saith unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Okay, now we come to a section that starts right after verse 34, right after the Lord has been viciously attacked by the Pharisees. And it was in this verse before our text here where we read in verses 32 to 34, the context here, 
where it says in verse 32, they went out and behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, the multitudes marveled saying, it was never so seen in Israel. But verse 34 says, the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. So here's the Lord. And there's gotta picture this now. He's just delivered a man who was hopelessly possessed with the devil as the people in those days were blatantly, very openly, everybody realized when a person was possessed with the devil. People today are possessed with the devil, only it's not recognized that they're possessed with the devil. It's masked by the term psychosis. He has a psychosis. He's psychologically disturbed. He's mentally ill. But at that day, Devil possession was more blatant. It was seen by people. Reminds me of the first time when I visited the hospital in Budajer, Ethiopia, where Scanabodies has this compound. And uh, Randy Wildman, you were, uh, at least at our compound, you weren't in the hospital, no, but anyway. But, and I came into the office of the director of the hospital, and seated in a chair was a man who was actually chained to the chair with two guards with their hands on his side, and they were holding him down, and when the man looked up at me with the foam in his mouth, I knew that that man was demon possessed because you could see it in his eyes. His eyes told that. Only the hospital said that, no, he was suffering from a mental disorder. And, but the eyes showed that he wasn't suffering from a mental disorder, he was suffering from a spirit possession disorder. And then when we were building our Scanabites complex there, there was across the street from us a group of mud huts, and there was a young woman in there, around there, who was hysterical, and she was out of control. And when we went over to see what was going on, her mother came up to us and told us that she was under the control of the Great Spirit, is the way she put it. She was more accurate than the medical staff at the hospital. She knew that her daughter was suffering from a spirit possession disorder. Now, what was characteristic of both the mother across the street and their medical staff was a feeling of absolute helplessness. There's nothing they could do. They didn't know how to deal with this problem other than to give drugs for the demon-possessed spirits. In the, in the case of the hospital, an antipsychotic drug, mood changers like lithium, like risperidone. And this is more widespread in the U.S. than we think. I'm not saying that everyone who takes those antidepressants is, is demon-possessed, but one in eight people in the U.S. is taking an antidepressant, and one in 50 people in the U.S. is taking an antipsychotic. Now, at that day, just like the mother across the street, just like the hospital staff, the people also, in the day when the Lord was there, felt absolutely, completely helpless to deal with this demon possession. Why? There was no cure, there was no hope, there was no future for a person who was demon possessed. So what a wonderful day it was in verse 33 when the Lord comes and instantly, without any drugs, delivers this demon possessed man, and it was so unique, it was so never seen before that the comment in verse 33 says, when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marvel, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. They had never 
seen anything like that before. This was the first time in Israel. This was a deliverance of a demon-possessed man. Should have been a time for great celebration, but it was a time that was turned into grief and frustration as the Pharisees stepped in and they said, wait a minute, folks. This is what really has happened in verse 34. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. What a slander. What a fake news that was to report that the Lord had cast out the devils by being in league, linked up with the devil himself. What fake news to state that that the Lord was essentially a devil working with the devils. And how tempting it must have been for the Lord just to throw the towel in and say, this is what I came all the way from heaven to earth for? This is what, this is what I, I gave up the, 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 the position, Lord God Almighty, to be born humble as a lowly man, to start to deliver hopeless people from the devil, to rescue the condemned from hell, and this is the welcome I get, that I'm called the devil, working a leave with the devil? I quit. That was tempting for him. So with that statement, like uh, verse 34, when he just had started his ministry, it would have been so easy for him just to stop, return to heaven in a state of utter frustration and discouragement. But the Lord did not. And that's the point. And that's what makes the words of verse 35 so powerful. Because it comes right on the heel of him being accused of, of being a devil. When we read in verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness, every disease among the people. So you take these two verses together, verse 34 and 35, and you can see how the Lord refused to let the hurtful words of the Pharisees turn him away. He let the words of the Pharisees just roll off his back like water on a duck's back. In this picture, we can see that the Lord did not stop at the end of verse 34 and say, now wait just a minute, I'm gonna hear, I gotta set this record straight here. You can't get, I'm not gonna let you get away with that. But, and, and that's the easiest thing to say. It's the easiest thing for us to say and it's the hardest thing to do, to walk away when we are personally attacked in our character. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to do what the Lord did? Which is really a question of how did the Lord do that? And verse 35 gives us the answer of how the Lord was able to walk away from that accusation. And verse 35 explains to us how we can be able to walk away from a personal attack. If we can see so clearly, if we could just remove that pesky, distracting verse number and verse 35 and see it like this, verses 34 and 35 together, the Pharisees said he casteth out devil through the prince of the devils and Jesus went about all the cities and villages. The Lord's reply to that personal attack was to dive himself deeper into the work that the Father had sent him to do, reaching the lost. What the Lord saw was that he was per- when he was personally attacked and what we should see when we are personally attacked is that the goal of the attack is to get the Lord to get us to stop. What the Lord saw was what we should see when we're personally attacked is that the work that he was doing, the work that we're doing in Jesus' name is so important that the devil 
throws up an obstacle in the form of a personal attack just to get the work to stop. And this was the issue with Nehemiah when he was building this all-important wall of Jerusalem. And that work was so important that Nehemiah's enemies made a personal attack on him. And then they invited him, like a challenging invitation, come down to this place and defend yourself, Nehemiah. But no, no, Nehemiah, he saw right through it. He saw right through it in Nehemiah 6, verse 2. Nehemiah 6, verse 2. Then Sabalat and Gershom sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together. In some one of the villages in the plain of Ono, they thought to do me mischief. I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? And they sent unto me four times after this sword, and I answered them after the same manner. Then sent Sambalad a servant unto me in like manner the fifth time with an open letter in his hand wherein was written, it's reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, thou and the Jews think to rebel. For which cause thou rebuildest the wall, that thou mayest be their king, according to these words. And thou hast appointed prophets to preach, it, preach of thee at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah, and now shall it be reported to the king, that'd be the king Babylon, according to these words. Come now, therefore, let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, There are no such things done as thou sayest. Thou feignest them out of thine own heart, for they all made us afraid, saying, their hands shall be weakened from the work, and that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Five times, Sambalad came to Nehemiah, accused him of trying to become a king, accused him of, of, of a rebellion against the king of Babylon, and gave Nehemiah this challenging invitation. Come down, defend yourself in Nehemiah 6.3. Nehemiah 6.3, he sent messengers saying, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? He saw that he was doing a great work in building this wall in Jerusalem. And this personal attack, this, with this challenging invitation to meet, was only an obstacle to get him to stop and defend himself. And Nehemiah refused to take the bait. And the Lord Jesus knew that he, had, he was doing a great work in verse 35. He had to get to all the villages, all the cities, and this was a personal attack, just an obstacle to get him to stop, and he refused to take the bait. As you know, I'm putting on these radio broadcasts around the country with the hope that Jewish people, some Jewish person, is gonna somehow be surfing his radio and turn in, tune in and listen. And I'm now, as you know, trying to mail out to all the Jewish people the history of how I came to the Lord Jesus Christ in the form of that book called Change. And so this last week, I received one of these personal attacks with a challenging invitation in a letter where I don't want to read to you all the letter because it's X-rated. But I'll read you some excerpts from the letter. Mr. Cantor, it reads, I was channel surfing on my car radio while driving in Los Angeles a few days ago and heard you relate to your audience a conversation you had with Rabbi Kravitz. After hearing your entire story, I immediately knew you were lying. The reason I knew it is because I once worked with Jews for Judaism, specifically with Rabbi Kravitz. You made it sound like you stumped the rabbi when it came to the translation of Psalm 22:16 in the King James Version. 
which is Psalm 22:17 in the Tanakh, he explains. If you told the full story to your radio audience, it, it would have revealed your lie, and we know, like Trump, you couldn't let your audience know the truth. I don't know if that's good company or bad company, anyway. <laughs> Rabbi Kravitz told me that. That's how I knew you were lying. You have the chutzpah to lie on the radio about what your conversation with him consisted of. You got a lot of nerve. The worst anti-Semites are the ones that were born Jewish. You are just like Paul. That's better company. <laughs> the, the ignorant Gentiles he preached to knew no Hebrew. Therefore, he could twist the Tanakh, take it out of context, invent verses out of the whole cloth, and they didn't know the difference. But I do, and you can't get away with it when someone knows Tanakh in its original language, Hebrew. Just because you were born a Jew doesn't make you an expert in Tanakh. I would debate you anytime, anywhere, but you're too much of a coward to deal with the truth. To me, you have all the credibility of Paul, none. Take care, Ron Cantor. I should write him back and say, dear cousin Ron. <laughs> now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that didn't get under my skin. I'd be lying to you if I told you that didn't make me angry, and it was tempting to take him up on that challenging invitation. I'd debate you anytime, anywhere. You're too much of a coward to deal with the truth, but I thought about these verses, verses 34 and 35, and I said, no, I won't take the bait. The work of making the radio programs, the work of mailing out the book changed. It must be really important for the devil to have thrown up this insult obstacle and challenging invitation in my path. And what delivered me was verse 34 and 35. He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils, and Jesus went about all the cities and the villages. Nehemiah 6.3, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? Why should the work cease while I leave it? What this all means is these all-important words in verse 35, verse 35 where it says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Those words are words of a triumph of the Lord Jesus over the insults of the Pharisees. A triumph of the Lord Jesus where he was gonna resist the challenge and not take the bait of defending himself. From those insults, he didn't give up, he didn't fight, he just pressed on in verse 34 and 35. He pressed on to preach the gospel of the kingdom to eventually become our sacrificial savior. Hallelujah, what a savior he is. He pressed on also after the insults, and what's interesting about it is that it's recorded that he pressed on after the insults, and what's interesting about it was that it so impressed Matthew, the apostle, this later to become apostle Matthew, that he pressed on, that he chose to record that, that he pressed on. And what that became, obviously, is it became a training also for the 12 apostles, which he's going to appoint in the next chapter, right after this section here. So the Lord now appears to be traveling around the cities of uh, the Lake of Galilee. That's what it appears. And he's going to every village, every city that he can find. And as he does that, he sees the misery of the people just unfold, begin to unfold before his eyes. And from his travels, the misery of the people just starts to lay out in front of him. And he's so impressed. The Lord is so impressed 
with the misery of the people that it shows us the wisdom he didn't get entangled with the Pharisees. And these first few words in uh, verse 35 really characterize who the Lord is when it says, the Lord went about all the cities and villages. Those words, went about, so impressed the apostles that that's how they described the Lord when they were just telling about the Lord to the people they were teaching in Acts 10.38. Acts 10.38, where it says, where they said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So from verse 35, we can see how the Lord was very precise in what he was doing. He was precise in his focus. His focus was he was on the hunt, on the search for those who were in need, who needed. We can see from those words the extent of his work. He was going to all the cities, all the villages, all the big cities, all the small villages, and we can see the place where he worked in verse 35, the place he was in their synagogues. And we could see what he was doing, the method, his style, which was he was teaching and preaching, which means that he was explaining and then he was persuading, teaching and preaching. And we could see the goal of his work there, which was healing. He came to heal. He wanted to see the goal of his teaching, especially to heal the soul diseases, the more important soul diseases from sin. Now, when we come to verse 35, what's interesting here is the place where he did his work. It says in verse 35, he went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness. You know, there's a special point there, first of all, in their synagogues when it uses the word all. And it says there, he went to all the cities and villages. So in other words, he was on the hunt. He was on the hunt. He wanted to find every big town. He wanted to find every single little village. He wanted to find every single huddle of people, every collection of mud huts, whatever. I don't know if they were mud huts, but anyway, every collection of dwelling places there, every little nest where people worked. He wanted to find that because he wasn't just interested in how big a crowd he could gather around himself in the big cities. He wanted that no one should miss out on finding the good news, the gospel of the kingdom that he was teaching and he was preaching about. So the Lord's looking for where are the people? Where are the people? We can imagine him asking others, does anybody live over that hill? Is there anybody over there? And of course, he wouldn't have asked that because he didn't know, but he would have asked that because his to-be-in-the-future apostles were following him, were watching him. He was giving them an example. Go find the people where'er they be. And the reason that he was on this hunt to reach every person is because that's just who God is. God is 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4. The Lord will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.